Well, it's good to be back in person with you guys. I went back over the last week and watched some of those online services, and I'm like, wow, you can tell I had COVID right there, because I have no idea what that sentence just meant. And uh, there was one week where I was watching, and I was like, I keep creating new words that aren't in the English language, and I was like, I'm seriously on some uh, heavy medication on this one. Uh, but we're back! And I have no excuse for if I make up words today or if I don't say my words. But it's good to be back in person with you. And um, Darby is continuing to have a little bit of a cough, so she stayed home uh, today as she continues to uh, try to get rid of that. So continue to pray for her. Our question for today, as we close out our series on Matthew for now, is are we fans of Jesus or followers? Jesus. It is easy to like Jesus. Like, it's really hard to find somebody, even someone who's totally non-religious, who doesn't care about, uh, or doesn't think there's a God, doesn't care about religion, and say, what do you think about Jesus? And they're like, I hate him, he's terrible. Like, most people don't say that. Um, most people like Jesus. It's easy, though, to like Jesus without making any effort to look like Jesus. The church exists to create students of how Jesus lived and loved, but at the end of the day, what does it look like to be an apprentice, a disciple, a follower of Jesus? It's like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but what does it look like on a Monday or a Wednesday afternoon? You know, what does that look like in our everyday life? Now, I don't think it's rocket science or a complex riddle, but I think it's easy to say you're a follower. It's a lot harder to be a follower. Like, it's an easy thing to say and not actually do. So today we're looking at our final passage in Matthew before taking a break from the series. And we're looking at how he called his first disciples, his first followers. And we're in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and all and people brought to him all who were ill and various uh, ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he killed them all. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Ordinary people were going about their ordinary lives before an invitation changed their lives forever. Have you ever thought about your one decision? I guess from a radically different direction for your life. Like most of the time we make safe, ordinary decisions, but sometimes there's big decisions that change everything. I remember when Darby and I were praying over uh, where to go to start a church. I knew it was somewhere in the Northeast that God was calling me to, and we took some time to pray and fast. And I remember after that time praying and fasting separately, we both came back together and sat down and we both ran down for the Philadelphia. And that was a decision that radically changed the trajectory of my life. You wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't even know you. I wouldn't even know you exist if I had made that decision. It radically changed my life. And we're all one decision away from a radically different trajectory for our lives. 
Now, uh, Jesus wasn't the first rabbi to recruit disciples. In first century Israel, there were many rabbis traveling throughout the country, teaching a way of life based on the Old Testament, and they would recruit followers to learn their teachings and to train new disciples. But what is unique about Jesus is that a rabbi would usually go into a synagogue and be like, who's the best student in your synagogue? Who has the Old Testament memorized? They just know this in and out. I want them to be my disciple. Jesus didn't do that. He went out to ordinary people doing ordinary jobs, and he said, I want you. He recruited ordinary people doing, doing ordinary, everyday things. And all the gospel authors mention this. The first disciples of Jesus were not the scholarly. They weren't the religious. They weren't the rich, the powerful, or the wise. They were ordinary people, just like me and just like you. Those are the people that Jesus is looking for. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't reserved for the elite. It isn't reserved for only the righteous, you know, the best of the best. It is available to the willing who want it. Now, Peter first calls Peter and Andrew. Peter has two names. You probably heard that here, Simon and Peter. Sometimes he's just called Simon Peter to uh, differentiate from other Simons. Um, but in this time, many people had a Jewish name if they were an Israelite. Simon's a Jewish name, but they also had a Greco-Roman name, so that when they talked to people outside of their culture, they could interact with them without sounding like a foreigner, and that was his name, Petros, or Peter. Um, just like now, if occasionally you'll call up somebody on the phone, and uh, they're like clearly from a different country than you are, and they're like, hey, my name's John. Maybe, maybe John. I remember I had a friend when I went to India, and he kept trying to get me to say his name right, and I butchered it all the two weeks over there. I kept butchering it. I'm like, I'm so sorry. It was a beautiful name. And uh, I kept butchering it, kept butchering it. Finally, he said, just call me Samson. You know, like, he's like, you can say Samson. And I was like, I'm so sorry I can't say your name. So I called him Samson. And I've called him Samson uh, since then. Um, it's kind of like that. So the Greco-Romans were like, Simon, what a weird name. So Peter went by Petrus or Peter. John chapter 1 records that Andrew had followed John the baptizer and had encountered Jesus before at the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized. He had even introduced Peter to Jesus previous to this. So now that Jesus had been kicked out of his hometown and moved to Capernaum, he goes and looks up these guys that he met previously, and he invites them to follow him. And the result of that invitation is to leave something in order to receive something. To follow Jesus was an invitation to have un unlimited access to a rabbi, to an invitation to become lifelong students of the way of life that the rabbi taught. A disciple was expected to have unwavering support for the rabbi. And they would go where the rabbi went and do what the rabbi did. And Jesus makes this peculiar promise here. He promises to make them fishers of men. Now, growing up in the uh, the South. My family moved down to Pittsburgh when I was a kid to Tennessee. They weren't religious. My mom ended up taking my sister and I to church because she was like, we have a last name like Hanovich. We stand out. Like, you're not going to make any friends in school. Like, they're going to make fun of you. And so she's like, we'll go to this church and maybe you'll make some friends. And she heard about Jesus for the first time and she said, you know what? I'm all in on this. I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. And so my family started attending churches and I started hearing these things. Anytime someone came to this passage, um, I would often hear, hear people say things like, Jesus wants us all to be fishers of men. Um, and I think their, their principle is true. 
But he didn't use that phrase with Matthew, the tax collector. He didn't say, Matthew, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You know? He didn't use that with Simon the Zealot or Judas or any of the other non-fisherman disciples. He just uses it with Andrew and Peter. And I remember uh, this passage growing up, preachers would usually use some metaphor for modern-day bass fishing, which would usually be an excuse to put up a picture of them with a really impressive fish. Uh, this was going to be better if I had time to better. But um, this is my really impressive catch here. This was actually a state record for world's smallest fish. Um, <laughs> and I caught this here in Delco. But um, they were using an excuse to put up a big picture of some huge bass fish that they thought and draw parallels to modern-day fishing. But fishing in the first century looked very, very different. Um, they didn't have rods or reels. They had nets. And... Uh, I just don't think it's a good metaphor to draw connections to that because Jesus didn't use this phrase with any of his other disciples. Fishing looked very different in the first century, and I don't think that's the point Jesus was even trying to make here. They were already fishermen, but he was going to make them fishermen for men, fishermen for mankind, fishermen for the world. Jesus wanted to make them fishermen for others when they were currently fishermen for themselves. Just like Jesus wants to make us teachers for others, teachers for mankind, or janitors for mankind, network engineers for mankind, or scientists, or web designers, whatever for mankind. One of our modes of discipleship in life is to begin to live for others and begin to see the work that we do as work to build the kingdom of God. Not just work to satisfy our needs, to have our wants met, but to actually see our work as working in step with Jesus to change the world. We begin as disciples, as followers of Jesus, to, to stop asking what we do, uh, what we want, and to start asking what does the world need. Jesus wants to recast our destiny not defined by our career, but to be, for, to help us begin to see our careers as avenues in dismantling the kingdom of darkness and instituting the kingdom of Christ. Now, we often assume the work of God gets done in the church. Like, oh man, that's where the really important work gets done, in church. But you know what? We spend roughly 45 minutes here a week, and sometimes we go three weeks without spending 45 minutes here, right? We spend 20 minutes online watching something, uh, that is not where God does his primary work, because that's not where you primarily spend your time. God is primarily working in our lives every single day in the ordinary moments of our day. Now, it's good to come here, get encouraged together, get equipped together to talk about how we can live out this life of Christ. But we need to begin to see that the work of God is happening in our everyday life. God primarily does his work in the world through the church, not in the church. The followers of Jesus are the church, and we gather to be equipped and to encourage each other, to celebrate each other, to support each other, but we leave this building to build his kingdom in the places he has strategically put us every other day of the week. Now, think about what you did last week for a minute. Just do a little thought experiment with me. How did you spend your week? Take a couple of minutes to think about your average day. Now answer this question. What percentage of what you did was spiritual? And what percentage of what you did was secular? Just think about it. You can come up with some percentages. It's a trick question, really. Because everything you did was spiritual. 
See, our tendency is to think about, like, oh, going to church, that's spiritual. Maybe reading my Bible, praying, that's spiritual. Everything else is secular. You know, like, that's not, what it, that's not where I follow Jesus at. But Jesus is trying to get his followers to see that ordinary lives are spiritual moments, too. To Jesus, everything is spiritual. That's why he picked ordinary people doing ordinary things and not the elite religious students of his day. We are always building the kingdom of darkness or building the kingdom of light. And that's not just done in church services and doing churchy spiritual things, right? Everything is an opportunity for spiritual growth and good. Ordinary people like us doing seemingly ordinary things changes the world. Now, Jesus continues walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two more brothers fishing, and he invites them to follow him as well. And an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to do what he does, to be with him and do what he does. To follow Jesus is to mimic who he is and what he does. You can't say you follow Jesus if you don't act like he does, if you don't follow him, when you don't live and love like he did. And the result of them following that him is that they leave something behind. Peter and Andrew left their nets. James and John leave their boat and their father. And the, the idea of following isn't a complicated idea, right? Children play follow the leader, and we're not like, wow, look at this complicated gang. Like, this is really advanced. These kids are geniuses. Like, it's a simple idea, but it's also a costly idea. When you follow someone, it's an invitation to give up control in your life. If to follow means you're not in charge, you're not in control, you don't set the direction or the agenda for your life. That can be really frustrating when there's something you want to do and the leader says no. Or that can be really frustrating when there's somewhere you don't want to go and the leader says go. But following is also incredibly freeing. Um, when I'm feeling the pressure and the stress, it's often because I'm trying to be king instead of following the king. Uh, the last three weeks that we've been online, I'm like, oh, man, this is this is hurting momentum. This is gonna hurt. Like, oh, people are gonna be out of the habit of coming. You know, like I'm going through all this stuff in my head, and uh, gently, maybe in between some like uh, you know medication coma and some sickness, um, I heard the still small voice of the Holy Spirit remind me. He goes, "Since when have you been in charge?" I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a good point." Yeah, this isn't my church. This is your church. Like, this thing wouldn't be here if it wasn't because of you, not because of me. You asked me to come and be a part of what you're doing, and I'm grateful to do that. But when I'm feeling the pressure and the stress, it's revealing that I'm trying to run my life instead of trying to follow someone who's in control, who's leading the way. I think the directions and the agenda for my life depend on me instead of him so often, and I have to go back and remind myself, I'm a follower. I'm following him. He's the leader. Following Jesus, though, always means leaving something behind. But whatever we leave behind to follow Jesus is always inferior to what we are receiving in heaven. So what did following Jesus look like? What did it practically look like? They were with him and did what he did. It's a real complex definition, right? They spent time with him, and they did what he did. What did he do? What did he spend his time doing? Verse 23 tells us Jesus went to where people were. He taught his way of life based on the Old Testament. He proclaimed the good news of his kingdom, and he healed hurting people. To be a disciple means we need to do the same 
impacts. We need to go to where people are. We need to teach them about what the scriptures say. We need to proclaim to them the good news of the kingdom of God. And we need to heal hurting people. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to do what he did. Now, as American churches, we tend to fixate on one aspect, one area at least, and ignore the other ones. And uh, you can probably think of some churches that were really good at one of these and ignore the other ones. You could probably think about Horizon, how sometimes we're good at one of these and sometimes we need to grow in some of the other areas. Some churches have become all about teaching the Bible, and they're like, we're just going to give people good knowledge and everything else will work out. And they ignore why the good news even matters to people. Um, some churches become all about the good news and the pronouncement about God's rule and reign and how anybody's welcome. And they ignore how the teachings of Jesus affect us before we die and right here today. And some churches become all about helping the hurting and ignoring the spiritual needs of people far away from God. There's some great churches who do amazing things in the community, but they never really get around to talking about the Bible or maybe how that might impact you spiritually. To follow Jesus, we need all these elements. To be a good, healthy church, we need all these elements. Now, the result of him doing these things is that a large crowd of people began to follow Jesus. Jesus had some fans. He's, he's drawing big crowds. People are coming out to hear him and see him to be healed by him. But fans are fickle, right? Just as any Philadelphia person. Fans are fickle. They can be your best of friends and your worst of enemies. The same crowd right now that's like, Jesus is awesome, I love him. Some of those same people would later shout, crucify him. And as, he, uh, as we read off this list here, he had followers from... Um, he had followers from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Jordan and the Decapolis. Um, and you probably recognize some of those. You're like, oh man, there's a bunch of Jewish cities that I recognize from the Bible, from hearing about in the news. One that I was less familiar was was the Decapolis. Does anybody know what that is? No, I didn't either. So you're, you're in good company. It, it comes from a Greek word which means ten city. And it was a list of ten cities. We have a list of those ten cities up here. Um, and both of them exist, or some of them still exist today, but they sit in modern-day Jordan, Syria, and Israel. And there's a list of them there. These were Gentile towns that Jesus was attracting followers from. It wasn't just Jews who saw Jesus as the long-awaited king. It was Gentiles, too, who recognized in him a new way of living life. A new way of saying, oh, this is what it means to be human, and this is a better way of life. Um, so these huge crowds were following Jesus, and after this, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, which will be our next section we'll jump into in a few months, Jesus sits down and says, okay, now that I have all these followers following me, let me talk to you about what it looks like to live and love like me. Let me talk to you about what it looks like to be my student, to be my disciple, to be an apprentice of my way of life. It's really his manifesto for his kingdom and what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom. Uh, we often call this manifesto the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at it really in depth later in the year. But as I was reading over these uh, list of ten cities, the first one up there is Philadelphia. Not this Philadelphia, but uh, modern-day Amman, the capital of Jordan. Um, but I just love that, that Jesus was calling followers from Philadelphia. And Jesus is still calling followers to follow him in Philadelphia today. Right here, right now, Jesus is inviting you and me, come 
follow me. Don't just say you like me. Don't just be a fan. I'm glad you agree with some of the things that I say or you think they're good. But come and practice them. Come and model me. Come and follow my leadership. That invitation, though, always means leaving something behind in order to receive something better. Maybe it means leaving behind a net, a boat, a family member, or in more modern terms, maybe you dreamed about the future, your career, a loved one. As we end our series in Matthew for now, I want us to really ponder this question, especially as we're about to take communion together. Am I a fan of Jesus Christ? Do I agree with him? Or am I a follower? Do I really try to live and love, love him? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and inviting us into your life, to follow you, to model our lives on yours, to receive the Holy Spirit and become co-heirs with you. God, forgive me for so often uh, just verbally agreeing with you, to mentally assenting to your gospel, to yeah, that's right, that's good. So many times I hear messages or I hear someone post or see someone post something or hear someone say something and I'm like, yes, that's good, I agree with it. And I go on about my life and I don't change anything. I don't actually practice it. I don't actually do it. I'm a fan and not a follower. God, would help us not just be fans of Jesus, but to actually follow. And I pray these things.